Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and thank you for listening to the history of World War II podcast, episode 230, an interview with Robin Hutton about her latest book, War Animals, the Unsung Heroes of World War II. So thank you, Robin, for being with us tonight. Um, I really do appreciate it. I enjoyed your book. And as we were talking about last week, I'm an animal lover. I have a dog, a border collie named Finn. I have two cats. Uh, We go, this is horse country because we're in Virginia, so I love horses. And so I absolutely loved your book. It's incredible what these uh, animals were able to do. But even if you're not an animal lover, the stories behind what these um, animals were able to help with during the war effort was absolutely incredible. So if I could just um, start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how this book, um, War Animals, came about. Well, Ray, thank you so very, very much for having me on your show. I know it's going to be a a fun talk today, and uh, I'm just so blessed to be able to talk about this wonderful new book uh, of mine, War Animals. And what is fun about it is I first wrote a book on Sergeant Reckless, the great Korean war horse, and uh, the book was called Sergeant Reckless, America's War Horse. And I don't know if you know about Sergeant Reckless, but she was this mare that was purchased over in Korea by the Marines to carry ammunition for the recoilish rifle. And she was so heroic. She's listed in Life magazine as one of our all-time greatest heroes. And um, in one battle, just to give you a brief thing, um, in one battle, she made 51 trips up to the guns, most of the time by herself. Uh, Each round that she carried weighed 24 pounds. She would average eight to 10 of those at a time. And she carried 386 rounds on her back, which is over 9,000 pounds in one battle. She walked over 35 miles up hills and and through open rice paddies, was wounded twice, but she never stopped. She even carried wounded off the battlefield. I don't know how many exactly, but in my book, I I mentioned that. Mm -hmm. So uh, she's just this amazing uh, horse. And after the war, she came back to America and lived out her days at Camp Pendleton. And I have spent the last five years placing monuments to Sergeant Reckless around the country. I have three of them. There's one at Quantico at the National Museum of the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. which is stunning. There's one at Camp Pendleton where she lived out her days and is buried. And we just placed one at the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington, Kentucky last May. And so that uh, was my start in my love of honoring animals with books. And um, I, I nominated... Reckless for a war medal that the British use. Mm. Um, uh, it's called the Dickin Medal, the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals. The PDSA is their uh, moniker, PDSA Dickin Medal. And this medal is known as the Victoria Cross for Animals. And it is um, uh, uh, it was awarded 
to um, during World War II, 32 pigeons, 18 dogs, three horses, and a cat during World War II. Wow. And that's when it was started. And so she, um, so I nominated Reckless for this, and she got it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just the greatest award an animal can receive for gallantry and bravery in a military action. So when I was going over to England to get this for her in the summer of 2016, um, I reached out to my publisher, and I said, can you do a press release on this? This is really kind of cool, and uh, I think it needs to be done to get the story out there and everything. And so he um, uh, he researched the Dickon Medal a little bit, and he saw all of these great animals that mm-hmm. had received it. And he says, well, what do you think about, uh, you know, doing a book on these animals? And I said, I'd write that in a heartbeat. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, I was like, please, please let me do this. So um, I, uh, he says, well, get me a proposal together. So I put a proposal together, and I had to give it an American angle as well. And right. so... I combined um, in the book, it, uh, I have all of the Dickon medalists in the book. Um, some, of course, their stories are more detailed than others, but all of, their, all of these incredible animals are in there. And um, so that's where, uh, that's kind of where it all began. And so um, it took me a year to research and write the book, essentially. And um, uh, I'm just so excited to, uh, to be able to share it now. Great. So I, I think it's very lucky for me that you're on the show at this particular time, because in the timeline of World War II, I've just started uh, Pearl Har- the Pearl Harbor attack. So let's jump into this. So, yeah, so when Pearl Harbor is attacked on December 7th, 1941, and I did not know this, um, the United States military did not have a dog program. And for those yeah. of us who read about World War II or are, are into it, we, we know about the Germans' use of dogs. We know about the British as well. But the Americans were not, they did not have any kind of program. So how did the American version of dogs serving in combat come about? You know, it's a fascinating piece of history, Ray, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I just, uh, I couldn't believe it when I discovered that fact. You know, you just assume these things, yeah. um, and dogs have been mascots, but they never served. So what happened when Pearl Harbor was bombed, um, a poodle breeder and a, a socialite, New York socialite, named Arlene Erlanger, mm-hmm. Got together. She um, she had friends with the American Kennel Club, with Spinster Dog Show. Um, uh, a friend of hers wrote for the New York Sun. Um, she gets together with all of her friends, and she says the dogs need to play a part in this. And her, she and her friends put together an organization known as Dogs for Defense. And it came together in January, I believe, of in just a couple of months, uh, one or two months later. Mm-hmm. And this organization convinced the army to get war dogs and to train war dogs. But what was so fascinating about this is when they got together, they put out a cry around America, um, advertised for people to donate their personal pets. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, but my Misty, you know, you're not taking my Misty to war. (laughs) You feel the same way about men, you know? Yeah. Seriously, World War Three. We're skipping World War Two. We're going right to World War Three. You touch my dog, you know. Exactly. <laughs> but 
Seriously, but people answered the call. 40,000 dogs were donated to this. Now, not all of them, of course, made the cut. Some were too old. Some were not the right breed. Some didn't have the right temperament. But 40,000 dogs, and that was whittled down to 20,000. And um, uh, ultimately, 10,425 ended up serving in um, America mostly, but also going overseas as messenger dogs and sentry dogs and Mm -hmm. scout dogs and things like that. And then the Marine Corps started their uh, program as well, using starting with dogs for defense animals that were trained. And uh, then they uh, started with the uh, Doberman Pincher Club of America, donated uh, Doberman Pinchers to the Marine Corps to train. So uh, it, it was just a fascinating piece of history. And it was so cute because um, even if your dog, a fundraising uh, program that started there was really kind of cool. It was the, called the War Dog Fund. And if your dog couldn't, you could even enlist your turtle if you wanted to. <laughs> if you paid like a dollar, right. your animal could be a private. If you paid a hundred dollars, he could be a general or a, you know, an, an admiral, nice. you know, this kind of thing. And this was a way that they raised money for the cause. And you'd get a certificate and you'd get a little button and all of this kind of stuff. And it was just an amazing time. And Arlene Erlanger actually helped write the training. There were no training manuals. There was nothing wow. that, you know, taught the handlers what to do, you know. And so um, there was, I believe it was five um, uh, depots, uh, army depots were set up for training, uh, Fort Robinson. Um, and uh, I can't think of the others right now, but all around the country, there were training centers set up for these for these dogs. Mm-hmm. And I have some wonderful pictures in the book about the training and everything. And uh, I'll be putting more up on my website at waranimals.com uh, over over time because they're just such, you know, great stories. Seeing these dogs, you know, Afghan hound, the poodles, poodles made the cut, you know, <laughs> in the first things because they're very smart animals, you right. know. And so it, it's just uh, it's just fascinating, fascinating. And it was such a patriotic um, time, and people just felt um, compelled to do this. And there are some amazing stories about our war dogs uh, that served over in uh, Europe and in the Pacific. Yeah, I, I certainly enjoyed the the pictures in the book. It really it really made it a lot easier to comprehend. Um, and again, even though we're focused on the animals, I mean, the handlers in, in yes. your book are absolutely incredible. And the, I guess, not only the bond between the humans and the dogs, but just that, um, ju- just the handlers came to really appreciate the abilities and what these dogs could do. And there are going to yeah. be parts in your story where the, 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 the uh, handlers are like, no, no, let the dogs handle it. They can do this. Right, exactly. There's a wonderful quote from uh, 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 Alan Shapley, who was the commanding officer of the um, First Marine War Dog Platoon, and that he was he was with the Second Marine Raider uh, Division uh, over in Bougainville. Mm-hmm. And as they're landing, it, it, his quote essentially says, "You know, just remember, guys. You know, it's the dogs that are most important here." <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to turn out to be true as. 
dogs. <laughs> yeah, and that's going to turn out to be true in the stories that we're about to jump into. So, no. so you mentioned, I think you mentioned just a second ago, sentry dogs. What other kind of, I guess, duties or training were these dogs expected? Even though this is an experiment, what, right. what kind of other duties were these dogs going to have? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because there were, you know, the Coast Guard took dogs and horses and would patrol the beaches mm-hmm. for because they were afraid of more sabotage, like, you know, being Pearl Harbor being attacked. Right. They were also worried about um, our coastlines being attacked. So the dogs would serve as patrol dogs and uh, attack dogs. Um, these dogs also would guard like our munitions plants or um, airports or um, different kind of factories that uh, were very important. And uh, you'd see these dogs just on patrol, um, and uh, it was quite fascinating. The messenger dog was used really extensively in uh, the Pacific. Because the especially in the jungles, the walkie-talkies were basically useless, and so these messenger dogs would um, carry their messages uh, from you know one handler to the second, and that was what was so unique with the messenger dogs is they had to have two handlers trained and uh, everything. So it uh, it was it's it's just amazing. And then there was the casualty dog, which um, would also serve as a uh, patrol dog. But the casualty dog was one that uh, would go and look for people that maybe were wounded and, uh, you know, were unconscious Mm -hmm. or, you know, get back. And so they would go and try to find where the wounded uh, um, soldiers were. But um, uh, it's, it's just amazing to see all of these different types of training that needed to, um, uh, you know, to take place. And the silent scout dogs, I think, are really the, 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 the amazing ones. And those would be the ones that would be uh, on patrol, like in, uh, in the Pacific on Bougainville. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can just imagine the dog is, you know, its natural instinct is to bark at danger. <laughs> But these dogs couldn't, you know, and, you know, they had to be silent or that, you know, that would, you know, the enemy could detect where they were. And so the handler had to find ways to notice how the dog responded. Like some of them, their, their hair would stand up on the back or they'd have like a low growl or, you know, they, their ears would go up, but, or they tense up or something like this, uh, when they'd get focused on something bad is out there, you know? And, uh, so it, uh, it, it was just really interesting how, how much of a connection these handlers needed to have with their dog to understand what it was that he was, uh, seeing, uh, or trying to convey. But uh, all these dogs went through special training and uh, even more so at different stages along the way. And uh, it was really quite fascinating. So so let's jump into this because, uh, again, there's a ton of stories in your book. We're just going to hit some of the few um, that really stood out to me. But, again, just the example of what these dogs uh, and horses and pigeons and cats could do uh, was incredible. But if you could please uh, tell us about the one and only Chips. (laughs) I enjoyed that story um, the most. Isn't isn't he just the best? You know, and Chips was donated. He was a... Husky Collie uh, German Shepherd mix. Wow. 
And he, um, you know, he had a, a tendency to chase the postman and bite the garbage <laughs> man. And so, and so the Wren family in Pleasantville, New York, figured that, well, if he's so good at that, maybe we can stick him on the, you know, the Japanese or the Germans, you right. know, to try to, you know, train him into being this great uh, war dog, you know. So Chips actually was the very one, of, he was on the very first, um, uh, battle or landing actually that took place uh, in North Africa. He mm-hmm. was an Operation Torch, and uh, that was in November of 1942. And that was the very first um, operation that uh, America um, entered. Right. And he was with uh, General Patton's Seventh Army, and uh, he uh, was just this amazing dog. And he was trained through the army. And uh, so what happened with uh, Torch, you know, they'd land on the beach and suddenly, you know, they're being shelled, of course. And so the handler starts digging a, you know, foxhole for him and Mm -hmm. Chip sees him doing it. So he starts digging a foxhole for himself, you know, (laughs) and all kind of frantic. But uh, they were able to, there's not a lot written on him during that particular thing, but... uh, uh, they were able to successfully land and um, eventually uh, capture uh, Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple of, uh, about two months later, what was so fascinating is in Casablanca, between January um, 14th and the 24th, 1943, mm-hmm. the Casablanca conference took place with President Roosevelt, uh, Sir Winston Churchill, uh, General de Gaulle was there, and other Allied leaders uh, all took place in this 10-day conference. Right. And that's when the um, unconditional surrender was the only accepting um, uh, thing that uh, they would accept mm-hmm. from the Axis powers, the Japanese and the Germans. It had to be unconditional surrender. And so Chips was a sentry dog. For 10 days, he guarded President Roosevelt and Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, really something else. He met them both. And um, uh, it was just uh, really, really cool. So his really his day of destiny came on July 10th, 1943, and that is with uh, the invasion of Sicily, and it was part of Operation Husky. And it's uh, it's amazing what, what he did, uh, because they landed very early in the morning on the beach uh, mm-hmm. in Lakata, um, which was uh, uh, to the west of where uh, General Patton was landing. And uh, when they when they hit the beach, they're suddenly hit with machine gun fire from a, a, a machine gun nest that was up in the up in the jungle area there. And so what happened was uh, the guys hit the deck, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, chips broke free of his handler mm-hmm. and charged the, the pillbox, the machine gun nest, and oblivious to the barrage, oblivious to the, you know, all the bombs that were coming down, the bullets that were flying around. He jumps into this machine gun nest, and the guys hear gunfire, and they're thinking, oh, my gosh, our dog, you know, he's probably killed back there. But suddenly, Chips comes out with the gunner by the neck, basically dragging him out of the gun nest, and three other Italians with their hands up in the air, Ender, 
because they were afraid this dog was going to kill him. And it uh, was just amazing. And he got injured. He, uh, mm-hmm. he had bullet graze his back and uh, everything and got some powder burns from uh, uh, the gun and uh, everything in there. But um, he, he, saved, he saved the men, and they were able to advance the farthest that day because uh, Chips took out the gun nest. Now, what was also interesting is later that day, he um, uh, uh, ten Italians were trying to sneak into camp, and he alerted his uh, handler to that, and uh, um, they captured uh, ten uh, Italian prisoners of war. And so he was just this amazing dog, and uh, he he survived the whole the whole war, and uh, he guarded Germans um, when they were in Italy, and. Uh, um, he uh, uh, was also part of the uh, Battle of Salerno and Naples Logia and um, uh, a couple of other campaigns. And it was right after the Salerno Battle of Salerno where he met General Eisenhower. Wow! <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's got friends in high places there. <laughs> and so he meets the general, and the general bends down to give him a pet, and and Chips nipped him <gasps> in the. Oh I know, I know. And but all was forgiven because um, that was what he was trained to do. Nobody was supposed to touch him but his handler. And so, you know, you, there's a great picture in the book with uh, General Eisenhower and right. Chips uh, there. But uh, uh, it was really, really amazing. Um, but it, what happened with Chips is because of what he did in um, uh, Sicily, he was awarded the mm-hmm. Silver Star. And he was actually cited in his papers. He was cited for the Distinguished Service Cross, which is just below the Medal of Honor. Mm -hmm. And um, but they gave him the uh, Silver Star, which is our third highest military award. They gave him the Silver Star instead. And he actually was awarded it on a in a battlefield um, ceremony. Uh, and uh, it was written in all the papers that the dog got the silver star. And sadly, um, because and he was also up for a purple heart for his wounds. Right. But sadly, because he was a dog, um, there was a national outcry that uh, by the MOW uh, military order of uh, World Wars and Purple Heart that a dog should not be awarded these medals. Uh-huh. That it somehow denigrated um, the the uh, humans. Um, who received it, and which is really sad. So they took they took Chips's medals away from him, and uh, which was really sad. But there's a um, a wonderful uh, I'll, I'll tell you a wonderful story on how what happened to him in a moment. But mm-hmm. um, so after the war, he went through detraining, and he um, came home to a hero's welcome. And uh, had six photographers uh, come in there and uh, follow him in the train and, you know, got back to Pleasantville. And he met his little four-year-old Johnny Wren and his sister Nancy and Gail, you know, there. And he was just, he came home to a, to a hero's welcome. And it was just, it was just wonderful. So um, when I got the Dickin Medal for Sergeant Reckless and started learning all about these wonderful animals... I nominated Chips for the Dickin Medal. Mm. And um, sure enough, last January on the 75th anniversary, when he uh, guarded uh, Roosevelt and Churchill, Mm. 
we were in the Churchill War Rooms in London um, with uh, Churchill's great uh, grandson, Randolph Churchill, and uh, Chips was presented posthumously the PDSA Dickin Medal. Wow. And what was so cool about that mm-hmm. is little Johnny Wren met his war dog at uh, the train station, you know, back in uh, the back in 40, uh, 45. And don't you know, little Johnny Wren, who is now 78, was at the presentation and he received the Dickin Medal for his dog, Chips. And that was just a great, a great day. So, yeah, it was just wonderful. So, um, you know, it's these I was so proud to be there and be part of this and have this dog honored. And there's a there's a picture in the book. Um, of uh, John Wren with the war dog uh, that we used as a stand-in for Chips, uh, wearing the Dickin medal. It's just beautiful. That's great. And and I I didn't think about it before I read your book, but it but now of course now it makes sense that yeah you don't want just anybody handling these dogs or touching these dogs. They've got to be you know I guess minded by their handlers. And so I guess because that was. Um, trained into them just like everything else i guess the dog couldn't get in trouble with eisenhower just because that's what he was trained to do if you're not one of his handlers do not touch him yeah absolutely wow, wow. absolutely so and it's pretty amazing yeah and and i was impressed about the uh the devil dogs of the marine corps um yeah. so if you could tell us about them please because i enjoyed that as that that was an incredible story as well yeah so you know they um the Marine Corps, you know, took on their own um, uh, training mm-hmm. of the dogs, and uh, they actually um, took uh, three of their messenger dogs that um, uh, were trained from Dogs for Defense, went to the Marine Corps uh, to Camp Lejeune uh, for training. But what's interesting is how the name the Devil Dogs came to be is that's from World War One, mm-hmm. and uh, supposedly it was... Um, uh, the Germans called the Marines the toy. I think it's called Teufel Hunden is the name. It's Satan. It's called Satan or Devil Dog, because it was after the uh, Bella Wood, which was this. They were just you know the, the Marines just gave their all and just wouldn't stop. You know, just wouldn't stop. But what's an interesting thing is that's supposedly where the name came from, but it appears, uh, according to the National Museum of the Marine Corps. It appears that that phrase um, was in a newspaper printing uh, earlier than uh, uh, Bella Wood. And so it's uh, it's really quite interesting that that um, uh, it was a different encounter with the Marines that uh, supposedly the Germans um, uh, wow. that. So but anyway, it's really kind of cool. But um, during World War Two, what was really neat. Um, they had, um, uh, 132 dogs for defense dogs went to the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And what was so neat, Ray, about the Marines is they kept a book for every dog right. that served. And they're, these, uh, they're in the National um, Archives. And I held every one of those war dog books and, and scanned them of all the dogs that were in the first Marine war dog platoon. Wow. And it is just 
uh, I mean, seriously, such an emotional day, as you can imagine, as I'm opening up and reading, you know, these dogs and and what they did and when they got their shots and, you know, what Mm -hmm. it, it was, it was stunning, just absolutely stunning. And, um, there's like, um, over, I think like over a thousand books, uh, of these, of these Marine Corps dogs, which is, um, really, really cool. But the first wave of, uh, uh, dogs hit Bougainville, the, on the, in the Pacific, mm-hmm. the first Marine war dog platoon went over and, uh, November 1st, um, they, um, uh, landed on Bougainville and, um, there were 25, 24 dogs, mm-hmm. three messenger dogs and 21 Doberman pinchers. And it, uh, was really, really, um, uh, amazing that, um, they stopped at, from Lejeune, they stopped at Camp Pendleton and did some more training with the, uh, with the dog handler actually, who, who trained Toto in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Toto's, Toto's trainer is, nice. is training double dogs, you know, which is really kind of cute. Right. And uh, there were seven, actually seven Marine dog platoons that um, went and served in the Pacific. But in my book, I just cover the one uh, Mm -hmm. uh, just to give people an idea. And uh, other books have been written on a couple of the other ones. But it, uh, Bougainville was really something, something else. So what was cute was on their, the ship going over, they had to set up a whole little area for the dogs so they could relieve themselves and uh, everything, you know, and uh, it was really kind of cute. You know, they had like little stumps, you know, for them to, to uh, be on and stuff. It was, um, it was really, really kind of neat. But so they hit the beach and um, on November 1st, 1943. And it was just an amazing, um, couple of months while they were there trying to back off the 40,000 Japanese soldiers that were on the island. It, uh, it was really something, but you know, they, um, they persevered and there were some really great dogs in that whole, um, platoon that, uh, really made it happen. Right. Yeah. Speaking of which, so, so since you uh, brought us to Bougainville, could you tell us about Caesar's exploits with the Marines? Yeah. Caesar, now Caesar was a a beautiful German shepherd, just this beautiful German shepherd. And he was owned by the um, Glazer brothers in the Bronx. And these four boys, these three boys, Morris and Irving and I can't think of the other kid's name. Um, Anyway, they all went into, um, uh, went to serve and so when they left for um, their service, the, they decided to to let to put Caesar in uh, to serve because they thought he'd do he would do great. Mm-hmm. And so he was just this beautiful uh, messenger dog. He was actually trained by um, the army, and he was one of the dogs for defense animals that then went to the Marine Corps. And uh, uh, when they uh, hit the beach. He was uh, he was a messenger dog, but he also um, would guard his handlers at night. And um, he started. Uh, he was right in the very first patrol that day as they're trying to move inward 
uh, from the beach, you know, into the jungle. They were trying to um, just get as deep into the jungle as they could to try to um, uh, set up roadblocks and stuff. And uh, Caesar uh, was the messenger dog that would start running. He was the very first messenger dog we had that would start running messages back and forth. And, you know, Ray, it's just amazing when you think about it. They would strap a message to his this little capsule on his neck, mm-hmm. and his handler would say, "Report to Paul." You know his other handler, right? And that that dog would just take off, and he, it could be a mile away, you know, or whatever, and he would find his way back wow. to his handler, and through the jungles, which is so amazing, mm-hmm. you know, and. Um, they, uh, uh, it, it just, it boggles your mind when you, when you think about it. And he was shot at, of course, and, but he still got his messages through. But what happened was, uh, every day he'd run messages back. But on the third day, um, his, uh, handler was sleeping and, uh, Caesar heard the enemy, you know, coming in towards camp and he, he jumped out of the foxhole and started to charge the enemy hmm. and to protect his handler. And um, uh, Mayo, his handler's name was Mayo, uh, woke up and called him back. And uh, when Caesar turned to come back, he was hit in two places. Hmm. Um, he was hit in the shoulder near his heart and in his um, in his hip, his left hip. Right. And um, uh, he went down, but he uh, he ended up actually uh, he went missing, and uh, of course Mayo was so upset because he didn't know where his dog was. Right. Uh, but he uh, Caesar did make it back towards uh, the the command post, and um, he was found. And they made a stretcher for him, and they carried him to um, to sick bay. And the doctor was able to remove the one bullet in his hip, but not the um, one nearest his heart. Right. And uh, and he made a, a full recovery and uh, went on to um, um, other places. Uh, I think he even went to Okinawa, but sadly. His book, and it's so strange, Ray, his mm-hmm. is the only war dog book that had pages missing. Hmm. And uh, which really saddened me because I would have liked to have seen really the awards or, you know, what he did or what his handler wrote in the book about him. Um, He's one of the uh, one of the only dogs uh, that um, uh, he he didn't. uh, uh, Sadly, he he didn't uh, make it out of Okinawa. But um, uh, he he was just this amazing, amazing dog, just a beautiful dog. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, it's. Um, I think in your book you said something like three weeks short of VE Day, four months short of VJ. He's, I guess, he's killed in action, and like, <clears throat> like you said earlier, he was the first messenger dog in combat, so he certainly deserves his award. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and uh, it's it's really uh, bless his heart. You know, uh, you you just uh, you you just love that their you know perseverance and their sacrifice. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level. 
by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing, it's all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Could you tell us, and sticking with Bougainville, if we could, and the Marines, if you, yeah. if you could tell us about Jack, the German Shepherd. So Jack, <laughs> Jack, Jack is such a cute dog. And um, he's got part of his ear missing in the pictures. You, you can tell him because there's, there's two, the two, you know, Caesar was a, a dark, a dark, like a Belgian, uh, like a, almost like a Belgian shepherd. But see, uh, Jack and the other messenger dog, Thor, they really do kind of look alike, except Jack's ear is is half gone from a from a dog fight. Wow. <laughs> so you can imagine um, what he did. But um, he uh, was trained at uh, Camp Lejeune, and um, he actually was part of the second wave that came in from Bougainville. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, he was uh, he also did security, uh, walking around the camp, and um, as as they all did. Um, making sure that, uh, you know, none of the enemy was trying to, to get in and stuff. But um, he was uh, an, an amazing um, messenger dog. And um, he was part of this, um, he was on uh, a patrol, and they were um, up by the Piva Trail. And um, his, uh, one of, and he was with one of his handlers. And the patrol was attacked. And the guys were outnumbered. Um, they couldn't get any messages out. They um, Jack was hit in the back, mm. uh, grazed in the back, and he was bleeding badly. And his handler was uh, badly wounded in the leg. And so they are, you know, uh, their lines of communication had been cut. So um, uh, the commanding officer was able to um, get over to uh, Jack's handler, Gordon Wortman, mm-hmm. and um, said, you know, uh, your dog is the only only chance we have to get out of here. And uh, what do you think? Do you think um, uh, he can take a message back, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, Gordon just said, well, he's got a lot of guts, you know, let me, let me see. Right. And so they put the message in his, uh, um, in his capsule and Gordon just said, you know, report to Paul and, you know, Jack just kind of mustered up everything he could even cause he's wounded and he's scared yeah. and hurt and everything. And uh, he got up and ran, was shot at, but made it back to um, made it back to the camp and uh, with the message. And uh, the uh, reinforcements were able to come, and stretcher bearers were able to come and get the men out. And um, 
he saved he saved the day. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, really, really something. And um, uh, he too made it home after the war. Yeah, he made it back uh, back to his um, uh, family. Was he another donated dog? I'm trying to remember. Yes. Oh yeah. Wow. All of these donated okay. dogs. All of these were donated dogs. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 I think it was the Verhigi family. Uh, I'll have to look and see, but yeah, no, it's, I tried to give for all of these, uh, where I could find a little, um, information on, um, on the dogs and, um, uh, stuff on their, their families that, uh, that they had. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just amazing. And there's some beautiful pictures of him in the book. I actually was able to talk to, um, uh, Gordon Wortman's son uh, sent me some beautiful pictures of his dad mm. with with the dog, and he would write these wonderful letters home, uh, talking about you know how much he loved Jack and everything, and what a good dog he was. And it's just really fun to, and I have quite a few of his quotes in the book, to hear the just the swell language. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. just it really it just touches your heart yeah. when you when you read about these you know it's just um it's really uh really something else but uh one of his handlers uh Gordon Finley um Homer Finley excuse me Homer Finley is still alive and there's a picture of Homer uh with Jack in the book and Homer is 96 years old and he lives in Colorado and um, he has just some had some wonderful stories about Jack, and especially when Jack was in day training, um, uh, Homer saw him mm-hmm. when he was at Camp Lejeune going through day training, and and he's there. Oh my God, that's my that's my dog, Jack. And and the guy saying, Oh, don't get near him. He's he's bad news, right. you know. And get near him. Well. So Homer opens up the uh, cage and goes in to see him, and old Jack recognized him and comes bounding over and is licking his face, (laughs) (laughs) loving on him, you know, because he's with his friend. And, you know, it's just just really kind of cool, really cool. Now, I have to ask about Andy, the the Doberman pitcher, because when I was a kid, we had a Doberman, a big, beautiful black Doberman. He was, uh, his name was Prince. And we loved him. He was nice. And he was very gentle with us, even though he looked scary as heck. But one night, someone broke into our house. I was like 12 years old. Someone broke into our house. And before the, and it was a guy, but before he could even get one foot into the doorway, um, Prince was up and at him. And as much as we loved Prince, before that, we treated right. him like a prince afterwards because they <laughs> saved us. So, uh, yeah, Dobermans are there. But I don't think most people appreciate how intelligent. I mean, yeah, they're tough. But you you said in your book, as far as the Marines are like, look, we're all fighters. We're not going to have dogs who aren't, to right. some degree, going to be fighters. And so Andy certainly proved himself. Yeah, he sure did. He yeah. he was probably the the best silent scout dog mm-hmm. that they had. Um, he, and he, he was one where he too had gotten in a couple of dog fights and his, you know, his ears are kind of, you can tell him from the others because his ears are kind of little mangled and stuff, but right. he was stunning, just stunning to look at. And on the very first day when they landed, he and Caesar were part of the very first, uh, patrol to go out and, um, Andy led the way and Caesar, you know, picked up the back, back end, mm-hmm. um, you know, to run the messages back and stuff. But, um, 
they were trying to, they landed on the beach and Andy was one too that could go off leash. He was one of the few that would go off leash mm. too. And, um, he, they were, they were going up They're about 400 yards into the woods and he stopped and, you know, this is their, really their first time working with him uh. in heat of battle, you uh. know? So they, they really don't know what to expect. Hmm. You know, they, it's one thing to go through training, but it's another thing to be in the, the middle of it all. Right. And, you know, you just have no idea what to expect. So at first, um, you know, the guys were just, you know, they, they're, you know, dogs, some of them weren't dog fans and stuff, but sure. Andy, um, they were, they were going up and, um, they, uh, so he stopped and he, his ears went back and, and he, you know, his shackles rose and stuff. And, and he kind of pointed in a direction and he, he was one that would do a low growl. Now, of course he wanted to bark his head off, right. <laughs> you know, they would talk about how tense these dogs would get. Cause it was like, please show me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so they uh, sent uh, a couple of the guys out uh, ahead, and sure enough, uh, there were snipers up in the trees mm. at the end, too. And uh, it was just uh, amazing uh, that uh, he was able to uh, – they killed the sniper, and suddenly Andy just went way up in stock. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he <just> was, <laughs> that was it. And uh, uh, the men were able to advance because he did this several times along the way. Mm-hmm. And um, there was another time a couple of weeks later after that where um, they couldn't find where these snipers were and these machine gun nests were because the jungle was so thick. And there's a couple of pictures in the book that you can really see how thick these jungles are. I mean, it's it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. And um, his two handlers said that, you know, let him take take Andy out there. You know, the two of them would go out and see what Andy could find. And um, sure enough, they get out there, and Andy was able to spot not one but two um, machine gun nests on either side of the trail. And they're kind of, um, uh, they were on either side and they had like a, they were in the crossfire, you know, uh-huh. so they would thought you coming or going, you know, it was just amazing what they had set up. And, uh, <laughs> his handlers then were able to go and throw grenades into these, uh, sniper nests and kill the, kill the enemy. Mm. Uh, it was it was just really amazing that he had that ability to sense these things and smell these things. But you know these dogs are just so smart, and you you know they have an incredible sense of smell, and uh, it it was uh, just uh, just amazing uh, what he was able to do. But he he was just a great scout dog, right. really a great scout dog. Yeah, that was one of my uh, one of my favorite stories. Um, but, but if we could move away from canines for a moment, I was absolutely <laughs> amazed and flabbergasted um, about GI Joe the pigeon, not oh, the comic book here. If you could tell us about GI Joe. Oh yes, absolutely. So before I tell GI Joe's story, I, I got to throw in this wonderful little anecdote. Sure. So last in July, I was in. Um, 
there's a, a brewery in Crete, Illinois, just south of Chicago. It's called Evil Horse Brewing Company, and they make a Sergeant Reckless beer because Sergeant <laughs> Reckless loves to drink beer. Right. Now, this is, this is a great – this is a really great beer. It's a pale ale. And so they had Sergeant Reckless Day at, at this brewery. So I always take my books and I have a briar horse for reckless and I have mugs and t-shirts, you know, and all of this stuff. And I have my little table set up in this brewery and I have a pop-up banner that tells Sergeant Reckless's story. Mm-hmm. And this uh, guy comes up to my table and he's reading it and everything. And he said, oh man, my dad would have loved this um, book. He mm-hmm. was a Marine. I said, oh really? When did he serve? Where did he serve and everything? He said he was in World War II. He was with the 2nd Marine uh, uh, Raider Regiment, and he was a dog handler on Bougainville. Wow. And I said, shut the front door. (laughs) (laughs) You have got to be kidding me. Who's your dad? And he whips out his phone. He he said uh, he had the war dog. Jack. Now, not the Jack, the messenger dog, Jack. There was a Doberman pincher named Jack, who was one of six dogs to get a commendation from the commandant of the Marine Corps for his heroics on Bougainville. And he says it was a Doberman pincher named Jack. And I said, oh, my God, your dad is in my new book. (laughs) And he says, what are you talking about? I said, I have a picture of your dad in my new book. And um, I I pulled out the picture and I showed him which one it was. And um, it's at the end of the Devil Dog chapter. You'll see uh, four of the dogs um, there with their handlers on Bougainville. Hmm. And um, uh, he was so shook up. I was so shook up. And um, I said, you know, I have Jack's War Dog book. I took a, I scanned a copy of it that I can send to you. And so he was all excited about that. And he writes me back and he said, I cannot believe this. He said, but that is my dad's handwriting in that dog book. And uh, that, you know, lists what Jack was and stuff. He said, my, my daughter cannot stop looking at this book. (laughs) And I, I was so proud and so pleased to be able to tell him and share with him that, you know, piece of history that, you know, because they really didn't talk too much about it uh, back then, you know. And uh, but for him to have these I sent him every picture I had of Jack and his dad uh, that I've collected at the uh, different archives and stuff. But anyway, that was a fun, a fun little moment. So. On to G.I. Joe. So, you know, our war, to, uh, our pigeon program, these uh, warbirds right. were really, really phenomenal. And um, uh, and there's a reason why the Dickin Medal was awarded to 32 pigeons mm-hmm. during World War II, because the thousands and thousands of lives they saved, whether it be getting a message through, uh, you know, on the uh, landing on Normandy on D-Day, you know, getting mm-hmm. the, being the first message through with what's going on, uh, how how the landing went, 
to they were dropped, uh, thrown out of planes, dropped behind enemy lines in just a little cage, hoping that somebody from the French resistance would find it and, you know, fill out a form as to what's going on and and release the bird. I mean, it was stunning. It's stunning what these birds did. Mm -hmm. You will never look at them and think they are a rat with wings again. (laughs) You will will seriously, they're they're just, they're amazing animals. And so G.I. Joe happens to be the only American animal that received the Dickens Medal during World War II. Mm. And uh, he's the only he's the only one. And what he did was he was uh, hatched in, in Africa, and he was part of a unit in uh, a British unit um, that was um, in um, Italy. And they were trying to uh, break into this town called Colvivecchia. It's a small little village in Italy. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, uh, the Germans were holding tight in this village. And so a bombing mission, a bombing mission had been scheduled for 1110 that morning. And so uh, the Germans knew, uh, they they let go of the town. And so the British were able to enter the the town uh, around 1030 or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, they uh, had no way to get word back to command that to call off the bombing mission. And so all they had was GI Joe. Mm -hmm. And so they strapped a message on GI Joe's leg and said, you know, we've, we're in town, you know, call off the mission. And GI Joe flew 20 miles in 20 minutes and stopped the planes on the tarmac from taking off. They were, they were just starting to take off and he stopped them. And because of that, over a hundred British soldiers' lives were saved that day. Uh, and um, because had the mission taken place, it would they would have dropped it on the you know yeah. bombs on, and the British would have been killed. So it was just really something. So GI Joe, after, after the war, when he was awarded this Dickens Medal, they flew him back from America and back to. Um, uh, London, and he was presented his medal with uh, um, the uh, uh, at the Tower of London, mm-hmm. and hundreds of people showed up, and it was just this amazing event. When you see, you know, the Beefeaters holding up GI Joe in the cage, and all these <laughs> kids are looking at it. It, it was it was really something to right. see how they honored these animals and uh, the respect that they paid to these animals and stuff. And um, so it's, it's just, uh, it's just been uh, a delightful thing. Now, GI Joe is stuffed Mm -hmm. and he was actually in um, a a museum uh, on an army base up in New Jersey that closed down. And now I think he's in a box at Fort Belvoir, Mm. but um, uh, because I think they're going to be putting a, um, a, a museum of some kind in the army museum at Fort Belvoir. So hopefully he'll be on display again, but yeah, he was, uh, he was something else, boy. That's a phenomenal story. I was, yeah, I really enjoyed that one now. And, and just for all the listeners out there, I mean, there are a ton of stories We're we're barely scratching the surface, but yeah. if, we, if we could do one more, um, sure. and, and I certainly do appreciate your time. Um, so, so we've, We've done the dogs. We've done GI Joe. Let's let's move on to the horses. One of my favorite animals. Uh, could you tell us yeah. about their role in World War II? 
Yeah, it was interesting because we they thought uh, when the war first broke out, we thought we were going to be needing a lot more horses than we actually did mm-hmm. use. Most of the horses that we used were uh, the Coast Guard used uh-huh. uh, uh, guarding the, the coastlines, you know, and, and doing patrol there because it was really hard to ship over uh, horses. Um, it, they took up a lot of space and, and their feed uh, took up a lot of space. And so it was really kind of hard to, um, uh, to ship them. And only 40, 49, 49 or 50 horses were shipped over wow. um, during the war. But they would acquire them over in, um, over in England, excuse me, over in the, on the war front if, if they needed them. Right. Strangely enough, but not strangely, um, mules were more important than horses were uh-huh. because pack animals, especially going over in North Africa and Sicily and the, the China, Burma, India, right. um, campaigns, the mules, I mean, they would get thousands of mules were used um, at that time. And because they're, you know, they, they don't spook as easily as horses and they're a little bit more sure footed and, mm-hmm. you know, they just, uh, and I, I just think they're so cute too. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt. No, it doesn't. So, but it's, uh, it was really, really cool. But the other thing that the horses did during the war, um, uh, in England, you know, Ray, I came away with this book, um, in the research, I have a whole new love and appreciation for the British um, people for what they survived during the London Blitz, Um, being bombed all, you know, every day, you know, for almost a year. It it, it just, it's insane what they went through, never knowing when these attacks were going to come. And um, these these innocent people were attacked because they were hoping that that would break the spirit. You know, the Germans were hoping they would break the spirit um, and, um, you know, not, um, you know, fold. They would just fold, but they didn't. Their resolve was was really something. So the horses would, uh, police horses were used to um, help in uh, when the blitz hit, um, you know, they would help control the chaos and the confusion and, mm-hmm. you know, just the horribleness of everything. Um, these police horses were used and um, they, uh, uh, three of them were given the Dickin medal uh, for their, um, steadfastness and their, their ability to just keep everybody calm and cool and collected. And that was Regal, Olga and uh, Upstart. And those three horses received, uh, their, their medals and, and for all of the police horses that, that, Uh um, uh, you know, served so bravely, uh, during the war and trying to keep the peace and, you know, you can imagine that, you know, they had to walk over shards of glass and, you know, metal and, you know, just it's really it's really something, you know, when you when you see about what these uh, um, these animals did. But they stayed they stayed calm and uh, everything. But uh, it's just um, it just is amazing. I, there's over I think I have over 75 stories in the book, um, all these different animals. And um one of the things that I'm, you know, uh, what this book has done for me is I really want to honor these animals in any way that I can. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I wanted to do a monument at first in like the Washington, D.C. area and kind of have like a sculpture garden and have all these different monuments, little monuments to these animals. But now it has turned into I want to do an international war animals museum Mm. and have kind of be in the Washington area, Virginia, Northern Virginia, Washington, Maryland area, because that's the museum mecca of the world, basically, (laughs) and um, have a place where people can come and learn about these wonderful animals and um, experience it, you know, the the um, uh, all of their stories and all the pictures that I've collected and uh, we'll have different um, the gal the artist that did the Sergeant Reckless Monument uh, Jocelyn Russell has agreed to do sculptures of many of the animals that are in the book to uh, and other too will be this will be from begin you know from the history the beginning of history till present day mm-hmm. honoring animals and showing how they served in war and because uh, a lot of this history is just not taught anymore right. and uh, and it doesn't matter even even some of the smaller stories were smaller battles it's still important history to to learn about and so I'm very excited about it and I was I just returned home from a last week being in Washington, uh, doing, going on meetings and, and, and presenting this idea. And it's had great, great response. And so I'm very, very excited about it. Just very excited about it. So, um, hopefully, um, uh, we'll, we'll have information on that as, as the year goes on to try to see what we can pull together. That would be great. And I, and I certainly wish you well, uh, in that endeavor, cause I would love to, to visit a place like that. And for the listeners, again, we've only done a very tiny percentage <laughs> Of the book, and just just to mention everybody real quick, we didn't even get to Smokey, the Yorkshire yeah. Terrier who did parachute jumps. We didn't uh-huh. even get to Beauty who sniffed out Londoners buried during the Blitz that you were just talking about, yeah. or Judy the PO. And this one, this one was really hard for me, but Judy the yeah. POW dog who helped the humans survive the brutal Japanese prison camps. I mean, there are a ton of stories about just the relationship and how the, these animals could just lift the spirits of these humans and, and just the bond that had to happen in these incredible, uh, but at the same time, horrific events. Yes. And, you know, there's even a war cat. Oh, That's right. <laughs> Simon war cat, you know, so you can't miss Simon, you know. Um, so, but it's, they really, they really are amazing. And I, I tried to keep the book, um, not gory, you know, it's not right. your typical or book, you know, cause, uh, I want, I want you to get involved. I want, I want you to, you know, in, enjoy the read and, uh, uh, have fun. I mean, it's, it's, I think I, I, I kept it, tried to keep it as light as I could and being respectful, but you know, there are some instances where you just do crack up at some of these antics that these animals will, will do. So. Right. And, and on the other side of that, j- just for the people who aren't um, animal people, and, and, and that's fine, but there is a lot of detail in here about the specifics of certain battles that I enjoyed a lot that, that shown some light for me on, on certain aspects. Okay. But but for everybody, you should please check out this book. And thank you, Robin, for being with us. It's uh, War Animals, The Unsung Heroes of World War II by Robin Hutton. Uh, please check it out because you will learn a lot. And the stories, and this is, like you said, this is something you can share with your children and truly get appreciate and, and truly get appreciation of what their service was to the Allied cause. 
Oh, good. Yes, indeed. I, I thank you for this, I, Ray. This has just been so much fun. And uh, as you can tell, I can talk about these animals all day long. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably where the book came from your love of animals and 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 now that i've read your book i certainly look at my um border collie with a whole bunch of new affection just yeah. knowing that he, what he's capable of because he, he's smarter than i am but i try not to let on too much yeah well yeah. actually actually and i i'm sure you might have identified with uh sheila the border collie mm-hmm. that um you know saved the american airmen's lives uh oh yes uh, plane crashed, you know, so you do, you can't help but identify with them. And if you do have dogs or love dogs and, or, you know, cats or horses or whatever, um, you know, you'll, you'll have a a real appreciation, uh, for them. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun, fun book for me to write. Robin, thank you very much for being with us. Oh, thank you, Ray. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.